Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Make Your Own Damn Podcast. I am Lucas Mangum, and with me today, as always, is Jeff Burke. How are you doing, Jeff? Doing good, doing good. Um, I- I've been looking forward to seeing this movie for years, and I finally did. And I, I think I may have made you watch a porn. You might have. You might have. <laughs> a very weird one. So... Today's movie, like, oh yeah, let's just get into it. Like today's movie, we got the trauma horror comedy anthology "Tales from the Crapper." Yes, yes. Um. <laughs> and I, I bought you this as a, I guess, as a pseudo birthday present. You did. That's right, because it was right around my birthday when you bought it. Um, and uh, yeah, and we bought it specifically for this show. Um. You know, because we knew we were going to have to watch it at some point, and we knew we we couldn't really talk about it without also talking about the behind the scenes documentary. So we did uh, dive into that as well. Um, and yeah, this is uh, this is an oddity in um, Troma's um, filmography. Oh, oh my God, is it ever? Um, and I I have the uh, description from Troma.com pulled up here. Shall I? Yeah. Uh... Yeah, let's hear it. Okay, this is the description on Troma's website for Tales from the Crapper. Welcome to Tales from the Crapper, an epic of biblical proportions and questionable taste. Boasting the greatest cast and largest breasts ever assembled in Troma's 30-year history, Tales from the Crapper will cause you to lock your door, look under your bed, and pray for daylight. Tales from the Crapper is the inaugural film in Troma Entertainment and Lloyd Vaughn Kaufman's acclaimed Dogpile 95 Doctrine of Digital Filmmaking and is destined to be part of all the critics' must-see lists this year. Filmed on three continents over a three-year period with six directors, 15 writers, and a cast of hundreds, Tales from the Crapper adds up to pure entromatainment. Hosted by everyone's favorite harbinger of the horrible, the Crap Keeper, Tales from the Crapper boasts not one, but two films in one extraordinary digital feature. Twice the monsters, twice the fat guys, and twice the boobies. Tired of searching for the perfect blend of highbrow entertainment, kung fu action, alien adventure, and hot vampire lesbian sex? Well, look no further, because Tales from the Crapper is the perfect combination of those things. <laughs> oh, that is that is a great description. Uh, they, they did the best with what they had with that description right there. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, there's this saying, um, I hear it a lot on wrestling podcasts, and I don't know if it's a common saying, but... Uh, so it might have origins outside of that world, but um, typically it's used when there was uh, an angle that wasn't critically well received, involving two, uh, involving some uh, wrestlers who were just not uh, particularly um, very good, and the the saying goes. Uh, well, we were trying to make chicken salad out of chicken shit. I, I have not heard that <laughs> phrase before, but I think that applies directly to this movie. <laughs> yeah. So, 
we didn't really talk too much about this when we were doing like our pre-episode chit chat because I immediately kind of cut you off because I'm like, yeah. oh, I think this is going to be a good conversation. We got to save it for the show. So what did just overall broad before we start digging into this? Did you like the movie? I can't say that I did. I can't say that I did. <laughs> OK. And you know what? I started off being watching this being like, oh, God, what did I subject this to? I have no one to blame but myself. And honest to God, by the end, I'm like, you know what? I'm one over. I I kind of really dig. I kind of this is a bizarre, bizarre experiment. And I kind of dig just the fact that it happened. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, I I would say I appreciate it from that angle. I just. For me, I was watching it and going like, this is like people who don't understand. It it felt like a movie made by people who don't understand trauma. (laughs) I I thought you were going to say this feels like a movie made by people who don't understand movies. And I would be like, yeah, that's kind of what makes it kind of amazing by the end of it. Yeah, yeah. I feel like before we um, get into really talking about it, we need to actually talk about how this movie came to exist in the first place. Yeah, yeah. Opening here. um, I can't remember if we talked about it on the air, but um, I, 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 I was surprised when I when I think you said it came out in 2004 because I had earlier memories of that logo. And the image of the crap keeper and, and, and such. Um, and I was like, I swear it was before 2004, like, you know, but uh, it was, um, I guess in 2001, they did a webcomic on their website, which I did frequent, you know, um, around that time. So that that makes sense um, that that, you know, that's probably what I was thinking of, which I yeah, you actually brought it up at the end of the previous episode, I believe, about that webcomic, which I did not recall that webcomic. However, on the DVD, they have um, – uh, I'm not sure if it's all, but they have several of the web the webcomics. And so when looking at them on the DVD, I was like, oh, you know what? I actually remember this now. So yeah. I did see that webcomic on the website as well. Um, I just had no memory of it until – until I was looking at them on the DVD. And it's like, oh, yeah, this does bring back a memory. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so they had this webcomic that was just kind of like, it, it was a silly spoof on Tales from the Crypt EC-style comics, which for anyone listening, if you're not familiar um, with, like, EC comics, oh, my God, that's that can be a whole multi-hour rant for me. But yeah. if you've seen yeah. Tales from the Crypt... It was originally a comic book in the 1950s, and Tales from the Crypt was just one of several different anthology series that this company by the name of EC Comics put out. If you're not, if you don't know what I'm talking about, please, for the love of God, go out and research that. They are amazing. It, there, it's what led to the Comic Code, correct? Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, the uh, Comics Code was in direct response to EC Comics. Uh, that essentially Marvel, uh, DC, the United States government, and churches conspired to put a company out of business. And this is absolutely no joke. The head of EC Comics actually spoke before Congress 
over essentially an obscenity trial in, in front of Congress. And that led to the creation of the Comics Code, which got EC Comics put out of business. And that makes them also like legendary martyrs for horror and genre entertainment. Yeah, definitely. And this is Troma's kind of little... So Troma then had like a webcomic series that was parodying that. And then they had the idea that they were going to not do an anthology movie, which you would think would be the logical thing, but actually do a series of direct-to-DVD uh, movies under the banner Tales from the Crapper, in which they gave a producer by the name of India Allen, who um, she actually uh, produced and wrote The Rowdy Girls, which Choma released. Oh, okay. uh, do, does that... I remember, like, every Troma VHS that I would rent would always have the trailer for the Rowdy Girls in the beginning. That looked yeah, like that sounds like a, about right. A yeah. softcore, like, les- a softcore lesbian porn western. Does that ring a bell? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah. So so the uh, person who's responsible for that was given $200,000 to uh, write and direct two standalone uh uh, like straight to video, they were supposed to be horror movies, mm-hmm. uh, which I, I don't even know what the footage we see that obviously was from the original shoot, how they ever thought it would be scary. But they were yeah. trying to make horror movies. They weren't trying to make comedies. They were trying to make horror movies. And after a, um, I think it was a year period of time, uh, Troma like, was like, hey, can we see the... Uh, I think it was about a year. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I was just I was just looking at the information. It was one year. Uh, Troma wanted to see the footage that was being shot, and Troma deemed it unwatchable, and yeah. so they essentially removed um, India Allen from the project. But they had already invested two hundred thousand dollars in it, and so then began a multi-year process of doing reshoots, filming new scenes doing rewrites and like we said like it was was how many people did they say it was six directors directors. and 15 writers in the end all ended up contributing to this movie of just trying to salvage this footage that they had and they spent two hundred thousand dollars on because they don't want to take it as a loss so yeah and 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 people have to like you know to they have to think about you know it, it they're thinking like maybe in movie terms, like, you know, like that's, that's not a lot of money in movie terms, but for a company like Troma, that is a lot of money. Yeah. So they felt they didn't have an option though. I'm very curious with the final budget ended up being because yeah. considering it took them three years to get something salvageable out of the footage they had, I can't imagine they really, and all they got was this direct to DVD film which like yeah. barely even trauma fans most of them like never heard of it so i don't know if they ever made their money back or if it was ever really worth it in the end yeah who knows but who knows? i just find it an absolute oddity um it is worth noting that i do want to bring up that uh i want to make sure i get all of the the charges correct that after india allen was um removed from the project she actually filed a lawsuit against uh trauma studios um, alleging um 
oh man, where do I, where is it here? I know she she was alleging like intimidation. She was alleging like unfair business practices. She was alleging sexual harassment. Jeez. And what's interesting though is I can find documentation and confirmation that um, that she uh, sued them. However, I can find no documentation anywhere of what the results of it were. So I'm inclined really? to believe that she ended up dropping the suit. Um, that's because uh, that's kind of like my only guess uh, yeah. over what, what the hell happened there. Um, oh, she uh, she sued Chuma citing breach of contract, slander, sexual harassment, and trade and trade slander, which is apparently a separate thing just from slander. Yeah, interesting. I wonder if that's like a. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Blacklisting, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think she most likely felt that um, I have absolutely no idea what the sexual harassment has to do with, um, so I can't speak on any of that at all. Sure. But in terms of all the other things, it all looked like professional-related stuff. And I also see that this is her last – if you go to her IMDb, this is her last credit. So I think she feared that this was going to be like the end of her in her career in the industry – and uh, I mean, all honesty, it kind of looks like it was. Yeah. Wow. But I can't find any results of that lawsuit, and I've never heard uh, really any media outlets ever, anywhere ever in relation to trauma, like like interviews or articles ever mentioned the results of this lawsuit. So I'm kind of inclined to believe that she she dropped her. She dropped yeah. it. Yeah. But that is the very tumultuous history that gave birth to to this <laughs> yes yes <laughs> um although we get a we get a a different version of that history in the beginning of the movie um which is one of my one of the funnier um one of one of my favorite parts of the film i i will say all right is, you ready to you ready to dig into it yeah let's do this okay um, so this is an anthology this is an anthology film for everyone listening. Yeah. So the, there's two main stories, but then Lloyd Kaufman playing a role similar to the Crypt Keeper, calling himself the Crapt Keeper. And that amazing trauma wit right there. Wow. Um, he has several small vignettes throughout the course of the movie. Yes. Yeah. Um, so does the... James one gun, gun one come first, or is it the the movie? Okay. The movie opens with Lloyd Kaufman in a shitty crab keeper costume, which is literally him just wearing a black trash bag <laughs> over his head with a hole cut out in it, doing bad puns and in introducing the movie we're about to see. And then fucking James Gunn is in the first scene of this movie, yeah. which that scene is surreal with how big of a star he's become because. At this point, all James Gunn, James Gunn has just beginning to enter Hollywood, and his first Hollywood production is he wrote the Scooby-Doo movie, and that's all he, that's been out yet. Yeah, I think, like, he had just, he he, had, he he was either in the process of writing or had just written uh, the Dawn of the Dead remake, but that hadn't come out yet. No, no, it hadn't come out yet, and I think that's one of the, uh, at the end of it, he mentions that, at some point in the opening, he mentions he has more movies coming out, and yeah. I think Dawn of the Dead is one of the ones he's actually directly referencing in mm -hmm. that in this opening stick. 
But so far, all he's had out is the Scooby-Doo remake, and they're acting like he's such a big, big shot Hollywood famous guy, yeah. which it's like, holy shit, James Gunn would become this gigantic famous Hollywood guy. Uh-huh, uh-huh. That's and like, he, yeah. <laughs> and Lloyd Kaufman is like, like essentially like, how did you do it? And it turns out James Gunn sold his soul to Satan and has been killing children. And, and drinking baby's blood. Which, does that sound at all like anything familiar to you? A little bit. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that Pizzagate and QAnon? Yeah, yeah. And James bit. Gunn is literally one of the people that is cited in those conspiracies as one of the people involved. I wonder if, like, some of these uh, QAnon people are lapsed trauma fans. I don't think they know about this movie, or else I would have seen that that little skit being shared around conspiracy circles, and, oh my god, I just realized we're publicizing this. We might be the ones responsible for this entering the conspiracy <laughs> narrative. Because he's talking about slaughtering babies and drinking their blood to get the power of Satan to become successful in Hollywood. Yeah. I mean, but that's, I mean, that's, uh, I mean, that's, that, that, like, I mean, to be, if we're fair, like, that does predate QAnon and, and Pizzagate and, I know, and this movie. No, but, but that's yeah. the thing that makes it freaky, is that's what those conspiracies believe, and yeah. they say James Gunn is one of the people involved, but I don't think they know about this movie, which predates right. all of it by, by like, almost, like, like 15 years, yeah. which they would then point to of, like, look, he was talking about it 15 years ago, we were right. <laughs> yeah. Please, anyone listening, do not show this to your Q, do not show this movie to your QAnon obsessed drunk uncle. Like, no, no. We don't need or, James Gunn going or your another or your aunt that's really into astrology. Yes, uh, don't show it to her either. <laughs> Make sure they stay far away from this movie because this opening just will validate all of their insane beliefs. <laughs> and see, and that's when I was already first starting to be like, you know what? I kind of dig what's going on in this movie. That's yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Once again, once again, Lloyd Kaufman proves to be uh, prophetic. Ahead of the curve. Yeah, ahead of the curve. Um, and James Gunn is there to offer him a directorial job, and I forget what what joke movie they he's offering oh, a yeah. job for. It's something really. Uh, it's like with a a kangaroo or something. Oh yeah. Yeah, it was something. It was something about a kangaroo. I don't remember, but it's not important. And then yeah. Lloyd Kaufman turns him down because he would never compromise, never compromise his spirit. Independent film, and essentially James Gunn tells him to fuck off yeah. and yeah. leaves. And that's the opening, opening skit essentially. I was about to say story, but it's not. It's really a skit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we go from one skit to another, right? Is is it's it's right from there to the uh, to Debbie Roshan playing the third founder of uh, of Troma, and there's um, a... is that right? Ah, shit. See, I'm looking at. I found a brief little order of the stuff in a review of the movie, except they literally missed that one, and I think you're. I think you're correct. I think it goes straight into the next skit, which I believe you're correct, which is Debbie Rashawn playing the secret Zelda. third Zelda uh, Lipschitz, is it? Yes, yeah, something like that, yeah. <laughs> I know the first was Zelda, uh, the first name was Zelda, and I know it began with an L. I think it was Zelda Lipschitz. 
Yeah, and so it's um, there are these just hilarious little vignettes of like Lloyd and Michael um, throughout the decades. Like well, with Michael Hertz, of course, played by Joe Fleischecker. Of course, as always. Uh, as always, because uh, Michael Hurst, he does his face is too glorious for the camera. Man, imagine if we could get an interview with him. Yeah, imagine that, right? Maybe that's the goal of this podcast. If we won't stop talking about your movies until Michael Hertz talks to us. Yeah, come on, Michael. I know you're listening. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's uh, it's <laughs> they can't. There's basically what it comes down to in these in the the running theme through these vignettes is that uh, uh, Lloyd and Michael, played by Joe Flyshager, cannot um, cannot agree on like on like how on what movie to make and they they almost quote come to blows which is not uh <laughs> no i just got that joke i'll be honest i yeah. just got that joke it's not a reference to them punching each other it is a reference to them blowing each other um, yeah then... which, which there's numerous blowjob scenes in it but you, I, i'll be 100 percent honest with you i i watched the movie and I, I i heard the come to blows and then they start blowing each other and i did not make the connection <laughs> That that was me having a really dumb moment right there. Uh, which uh, which uh, Demi Rashan then uh, breaks up each time, and uh, but then they, gosh, do they? Uh, I guess eventually um, trying to play the uh, you know mediator between those two uh, drives uh, Zelda Lipschitz to suicide. Yes. Uh, and um, and this movie Tales from the Crapper is a uh, tribute to her. Yes, yes, that is the backstory that they give for why we're about to watch this movie. <laughs> um, and, you know, like, when I was watching this, I was like, all right, we got two openings, and pretty much every every trauma, I, I think every trauma distributed movie has a Lloyd Kaufman opening. Yes. Uh, I don't know if I've ever seen one that doesn't. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so, so at this point, already I was like, "Oh, there's two Lloyd Kaufman openings, and this movie's only like 88 minutes long. What, like, what's about to happen?" Yeah. And then we get the actual start of the movie, which is the case of the melon-heavy alien man eater. That's a mouthful. Yes, it is, and it's like. I don't even know how we should start going through this. So it's it's a essentially a short film about what like thirty forty minutes long. Yeah, yeah, about. But, but it feels like ninety minutes. Yes. <laughs> this was rough. Like this, I I felt was the rough part of the movie. Yeah, and to be fair, like I mean, when I was saying the things I was saying earlier, like a, a lot of it is directed towards, you know, like this particular. Uh, film, I guess. <laughs> so, so with with this, um, we'll we'll get we'll get into it later. But we see in the behind the scenes documentary that all the alien related stuff was all things added in afterwards, which yeah. means that the only original footage has to be all the strip club sequences, except for the strip club massacre at the end. Right. Right. So essentially. The like in terms of like I, I like we can't go through this plot point by plot point because there's no real plot point to go through. It's 
Right. People were turning up dead at a strip club. Basically, we spent 30 minutes watching strippers, which, you know, you know what, I'm, I'm kind of okay with that, but it did get tiresome after a while because, like, right. I have the internet, I have, I have access to Pornhub, so, yes. you know, like, if, if this was the mid-90s again, this movie would have a lot more rewatch value. This is true. Um, although, it, we do get to see uh, Julie Strain have sex with a sex doll that then comes to life. Why the kind fuck of does that happen? I don't know. <laughs> I, I I don't even understand what it has to do with anything else at all. There's literally just a scene. It, it seems completely removed from anything else we're watching. The, so, so Julia Strain's playing a cop, and she's going undercover at a strip club to try to solve a series of murders connected to the strip club. Uh-huh. And And then there's some cutaway scene where she starts making out with an inflatable doll that turns into a real woman, a very attractive woman. A very like attractive a, real woman. And then we get like a five-minute sequence of them having sex, which, all right, but yeah. I don't understand what this has to do with anything. Yeah. Um, which, by the way, I do feel the need to pause there and say uh, I, I found out that Julie Strain actually passed away earlier this year. Um, I, was, I was actually going to bring that up. That was in my list of things to talk about. Yeah. So uh, rest in peace. Which I had no idea. She died in January. Yeah, um, I had no idea for, either. For the sake of prosperity, this is uh, 2021. So she died in January of this year. And there's some like complications resulting from early onset dementia due yeah. to um, a head injury she suffered from horseback riding from when she was younger. Yeah, like from when she was like a child or something, right? Like it's no, it was it was from like, when she was in her early twenties, and oh, she right. actually lost her childhood memories. That's due right. To the he- right. head injury, which Man. I did not know any of that about her. Yeah, I didn't either. Um, yeah. Um, so that was like I, I just remember, like I mean, I, I remember always seeing her on like covers of like you know like the the direct to video like horror stuff in like the late 90s early 2000s fair wench project that yes i was because i was looking up her filmography i'm like what do i know her from oh the bear wench project i remember yeah. that i saw yeah. that <laughs> <laughs> yep um, so, so for people that might be more of the zoomer generation it was like it, when you were too young to get access to actual porn and before the internet you had these great things called softcore porns that the video store would still rent to you and it was just like really cheesy music with naked women rubbing up on each other. It was essentially what they all were, with a bare thread of a plot in them. And usually Strain, parodies of real movies. Yes, usually parodies around movies, parodies of real movies. And Julie Strain kind of like had her career in that weird little niche subgenre. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, and she was. Yeah, and she she also did a. Uh... One of the heavy metal movies, like Heavy Metal 2000. Yeah, she uh, she she uh, provided the voice of the main uh, of the main lead in Heavy Metal 2000, which yeah. I saw. It wasn't very good. Yeah, I liked the soundtrack, but you know. <laughs> I also didn't like the original Heavy Metal. I'm sorry for all you cult fans out there. This may be one of my unpopular cult movie opinions, but I think the Heavy Metal franchise is severely overrated. That's fair. That's fair. Um, yeah, but uh, back to this. So, so the blow, the blow up girl comes to life and has a sex scene with Julia Strain. 
Yeah. And I was just sitting there, and I'm like, "What? What is happening? What is happening?" <laughs> yeah. Um. Now might be a good time to uh, talk about uh what. Boner vision. <laughs> yes. So this this movie has an ingenious new filmmaking technique called boner vision, at which at any point when the movie is going to go boring, there pops up a little circle on the screen, and it's either just tits or ass shaking. I mean, okay. That... So I thought that was the running theme. I, like I was like I was like. I was like, is this just showing up whenever the movie's getting boring? Like, yes. you know, <laughs> okay, I, okay, I, I was... It's, I, it's whenever the dialogue scenes go on too long, Bonavision comes in. I mean, it's not a bad technique. <laughs> it's not! <laughs> and I will admit, there were several points I totally lost track of what was happening in the dialogue, and I was just staring at the shaking tits in the corner of the screen. And I was like, you know what? This is working for me. Like, I yeah. I think they're onto something here. <laughs> um, now, everybody has... Now, the... Oh, God. Doesn't the... Uh, I'm sorry. I'm thinking. I'm still thinking about boner vision. Okay. Uh, okay. So, so I'll continue yeah. on. So we already have like there's a series of murders happening, and the movie, the the short film is bookended with in the beginning a UFO crashes yes. a, in LA, and we don't really see the alien. He's like limping along, covered in rags, and Lloyd Kaufman is voicing the alien. And we find and it's we, really obvious it's Lloyd Kaufman too. It's very obvious it's Lloyd Kaufman speaking gibberish, and we learn it's the alien language. And in the subtitles, we learn that the alien needs to find some place where it can kill and eat humans. And then in the end of the movie, after we watch 30 minutes of strip club sequences, essentially with some other stuff mixed in that we'll get into, um, it's revealed that it's a like. The Tromantis, which yes. is a, essentially a stripper with green pinchers for her hands and a um, uh, prairie madness mask on, which Troma's constantly trying to create new mascots, and I'm surprised that Tromantis, I don't recall ever seeing the Tromantis again. No, I don't, like, I don't think so. The Tromantis is better than Sergeant Kabuki, man. I am sorry. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. I would say so. Super sexy stripper with claws and mantis head. Like, I am, as a Troma fan, I'm like, I can totally get down with this. I, <laughs> I like this. I like this. Yes, bring back Tromantis, please. Yeah, yeah Troma, here is, we want to see the Tromantis again. This is great. Um, and, and that's really the whole, and then there's a fight, and the, um, they kill the Tromantis. And that's it. I mean, there's not really a lot to this. There are only really notable things is there's a kung fu fight in the ship club at one point. Yep, yep. Um, Why and there's, did they have a kung fu fight? There's a cartoonish amount of uh, poop noises throughout the entire uh Whenever thing as well. any character... Bends over. Which remember, this is a strip club, so strippers are bending over There's a lot. There's a lot of bending over. <laughs> There's a fart pooping sound. <laughs> Whenever. So, I mean, it's going on. I remember, this is just like constant stripping scenes. So, this is just constant throughout, throughout 
<laughs> the fucking short film. <laughs> the short film that is really like half a half a real movie. Like it's like forty minutes. Like so it's you know, with all the other little skits in it, I should have timed it. I think it's only like thirty minutes. Oh man. Like, I just think it just drags. It yeah. Just, and all the pretty much outside of uh, Julie Strain, um, every character is voiced over by I don't know who. I don't know who's doing the voiceovers. Yeah. But it's all really poorly dubbed in, really stupid dialogue that yeah. like barely makes sense. Um. It, this was rough. This yeah. First one was rough. It was rough. Man. I was like. I was like watching it and getting angry. Like I was like, I really, I really mad right now. <laughs> and I, I guess, I guess in a way, I was feeling Lloyd Kaufman's anger, like when he probably got the original um, rough cut of it. So we know that the the spaceship crash in the beginning and the the tromantis attack at the strip club were added after they got the footage. Yeah. Everything else in between is, I believe, footage that was delivered to them. Yeah. So, yeah, like, what the fuck was was that? Like, I, I, yeah, like, I don't even know what the horror movie was supposed to be that they were originally trying to film. Yeah, I don't, I don't either. Um, it's, it was like, yeah, no, it was like I said in the beginning, like, I think it was like India Allen or whoever, like, was just like, Oh yeah, we're making a movie for trauma. I mean, they they like they like boobs, you know, and just like just through this thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh yeah, like all all the strippers all have men's names. Yeah, that's right. Larry was a reoccurring stripper. Oh yeah. yeah. Which I gotta admit, actually, that's pretty funny of a stripper named Larry. That's actually a pretty good joke. I I think that's kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's good. So I do want to bring up, though, uh, like a notable cameo, because this movie is filled with cameos, especially when yes, we get to the is. second half of this. Um, but from this first story, I mean, we already talked about James Gunn, but this first like full story, a big notable cameo is um, early, one of the very few scenes that doesn't take place in the strip club has um, Julia Strain home with her husband having like weird kinky sex and this guy's dressed up really bizarrely. Yeah. That was her at the time real life husband who, um, I just want to make sure I get his name right. was, um, Kevin Eastman. Yes. Is that his name? Yes. Kevin Eastman. Do you know who Kevin Eastman is? Uh, one of the, uh, co-creator of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So Ninja Turtles tied in the trauma here. Yes, isn't that crazy? Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, also, I believe also he was a co-writer on uh, Heavy Metal 2000, which star, which uh, you know Julie Strain provided the oh. voice for. So yep. there you go. Um, and there's actually one point that, um, and I found this is really interesting that they actually left her in the movie that. Um, you know how this at several points uh, newscasts interjected into the movie with mm. um, reporting on the murders at the strip club, and it's yeah. normally these two twins, these two male twins talking. And right. I was actually trying to look them up. I'm not sure if they're twi- actual twins or not, or if it was just like double screened footage of the same guy. 
I, I, I actually don't know. Did they show up in another trauma movie? I think they do, but I couldn't figure I out. I think it's Citizen Toxie, because, like, I feel like I've seen them recently. So and... did I, I feel like I've seen them not recently, but I feel like I've seen them somewhere before, and I could not place where. Okay, yeah. I think it's Citizen Toxie. I could be wrong. It's, um, like I said, it's, like, I've brought before, uh, like, it's been a few years since I've seen Citizen Toxie. Yeah. So you may be right, I'm just not sure. Yeah. Um, but, but there's a female newscaster at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, that female newscaster is India Allen, the original oh, wow. person who did all of the fo- like original filming. Damn. So I was actually legit surprised that they left her cameo in the movie. Yeah, for real. Unreal. So um, I, I don't. This is just, like, rough. I mean, like, this, this we're just watching a company trying to come up with just, like, bare, like they try, <laughs> sort <Yeah>. of, <laughs> uh, but just trying to come up with something to f- put this strip club footage into some sort of vague narrative. Yeah, yeah, it's, at what point do you just, like, cut your losses, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I like the Tromantis at the end. I thought the Tromantis was pretty, was pretty stupidly awesome. And we got some, like, like there was some gore and, at points. And say what you and I will about the, uh, the sex doll coming to life. I don't think I'll ever forget that scene. I will not. <laughs> I have no idea what the fuck that had to do with anything at all. I'm also pretty convinced that that was probably part of the original shooting. Yeah. So, like, maybe there was, like, some... Uh, I, I like supernatural element. I mean, we get the Tromantis, and, but that's an alien. But maybe there's some sort of magical element originally maybe. in what they were going for. Yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, after uh, this, we get a another Crap Keeper vignette, correct? Yes, we get Let Us to the Crap Keeper. Okay, yeah, and that one's funny. This yeah. one's funny because he's like he he fucking craps out the letters. Yes, yes, that's reason. correct. So he's doing like like fans writing in for filmmaking advice, and yeah. so um, the crap keeper gives us a lesson in filmmaking. And to be a hundred percent honest with you, I think it's legitimately good advice for any storyteller. Yes. It, in which what essentially it's he does it through really absurd things, but essentially it boils down to of keep adding interesting things that mm-hmm. like don't be boring. It doesn't matter if you have no skill, if you got no talent, if you can make things interesting, you can make up for l- lacks of anything else in your rep- in your skills. And right. I think that's legit wonderful advice. And no, for sure. And they sure. illustrate this with a um, having lesbians make out and then introducing a um, transsexual character to join them in making out and then introducing Joe Fleischaker playing <laughs> a uh, topless um, um, oh, a singing telegram person oh, yeah. to yep. keep making out with all of them and 
it gets very interesting. <laughs> it does. It does. Um, it, it, now might be a good time to actually touch on uh, the, uh, I guess, the imprint they use, uh, you know, to um, uh, when they release this film, uh, Dogpile 95. Yes. So that's a, a reference to a film. A, an art house film movement from from the late 90s early 2000s called dogma 95 uh the only famous member i know of is lars von trier but that's because my memory is bad i'm sure there there were other filmmakers who went on to do things um but uh let me pull up the uh pull up yeah that. and i'm familiar with it like for anyone that's not essentially the the thing was to try to create as ultra-realistic films as yes. possible. So, like, not using lights, not using microphones, essentially mm-hmm. capturing everything directly as it appears in the camera. And really what that means is you get a lot of really pretentious, really shitty movies. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I think this whole idea is a bad idea. <laughs> I mean, uh, there are ways you can make it interesting, but yes, yeah, I I, I hear you on that. Um, I uh, like, like a more refined version of it that people listening is probably more familiar with is like in the two thousands we got then like the mumblecore scene yeah. of films, and like that was a, like the the was it what's a I keep wanting to say dogpile. What's it really called? Uh, dogma ninety five. Dogma. Thank you. I'm like it's not dogpile. It's not dog fart. What's it called? Oh, dogma. Oh yeah, that makes sense. Um, the dogma ninety five was a direct precursor to like the mid two thousands mumblecore twee yeah. movement of uh, filmmaking. Yeah, and so like yeah, Lloyd, as as we've established, you know, like uh, he loves highbrow art and he loves lowbrow art. So this and. Eddie's, you know, so he would have been aware of something like Dogma 95, so I think this was him taking digs at it. I mean, I don't know how, I don't know if they're loving digs or not, you know, but they're they're definitely digs. Now, whenever they show the Dogpile 95, they also advertise the website, dogpile95.com. Did you go to the website by any chance? I did not, no. I went to the website. You should type it into your computer right now when we're talking. Dogpile95.com. Um, because I believe Troma no longer holds the rights to it, but somebody else got the rights. And so when you go to dogpile95.com, I suggest everyone listen to this because this is oh. a bizarre website. And I would like to have an explanation from someone. What is this? The first thing you see from March 16th, 2017 is the ultimate guide to dating MILFs. Yeah. And next to it, there's an about picture of who I'm assuming is supposed to be the writer. But it's a very obvious stock photo of some college kid. Yeah. And, um, and oh, then the only weird, dude. The, yeah, this is a weird website. The only other article on the website is why people are so obsessed with the Texas State Barbie Girl, Barbie Jeep Girl story, which I've never fucking heard of. I've and it's never like heard of that. Some I I don't I I couldn't care enough to read it, but there's like a YouTube video link that just says some chick in one of those like little kid motorized jeeps. Yeah. I I don't understand. Um, and then like. Here, I just clicked on the tab. There's tabs at the top, one of which says not going to college is a bad idea, which I don't completely <laughs> agree with. And, okay, there's apparently a little article about the benefits of college. Um, 
professional and personal growth. You'll get smarter. The experience of a lifetime. And then other tabs like TV shows college students should binge watch. And then the college sex match. match. I don't know what this website is. This is very weird. Like, this is like, are we on the dark web? Like, this is weird enough. I think we might be. (laughs) I think we might be. (laughs) Oh, my God. I I can only assume Troma has lost the rights to the website because this is definitely not Troma. No, definitely not. Oh, man. Oh, shit. If you click on the, uh, the sex tab... It links you to a website which is now defunct, which was collegesexmatch.com. So I wonder if oh, this wow. was like like the front for some sort of like scam. Oh, maybe. Yeah, I could see that. They like, got the they like they bought like Troma let the site lapse and some scam company bought it and bought just it. yeah threw a couple of things up front to try to funnel to like some dating website lonely women live in your neighborhood and want to have sex with you (laughs) yeah yeah that type of thing i think that might be exactly but this is like years defunct now yeah so weird (laughs) yeah no it was funny because it was like last night i was like going i was watching some of the special features on the dvd and they shared the dark pile 95 logo it's a dark pile 95.com i'm like huh I'm like, i wonder if that's still a website and i typed that in and was like what the fuck did i just find <laughs> <laughs> oh man that's oh, that's great i love so this that this movie did lead me to so much entertainment and mental confusion which yeah <laughs> i consider mental confusion also entertaining it can be. It can be. Yeah. Um, yeah. So after this vignette is when we get the next, I guess. Yes. Vision of the terror twat. Oh man. Okay. I legit like this. I, I legit thought this was good. Yeah. And so what it's about, it's about, um, like four college, uh, four college friends and one of them is having difficulty paying his tuition and he like learns that you can privately hire strippers slash prostitutes so he essentially comes up with the idea that he's going to throw a party which he's going to charge people admission for and hire a bunch of strippers slash prostitutes that will be the entertainment for the party essentially he's being a pimp he's right. going to be like pimp for a night and then it just so turns out that the stripper prostitutes that he hires are vampires yeah which ends in a massacre and like there's so many things i want to go over with this i actually legit thought this was kind of awesome and that you can watch the behind the scenes documentary it's really obvious what was pre-filmed and what was later added in. And I think they did like a really ingenious job of salvaging uh, some footage and making, I I think this was like a very entertaining short film. And it actually has like a story on like, yeah, there's a real plot. Yeah. Yeah. The the other one, like if you're like, Oh, you're not going through all your individual plot breakdowns. It's like, that's because that didn't happen. It doesn't really happen in this movie. Plot is not a goal in this movie. No, no, not story, really. Story is not a thing in this movie. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> so, but, um, uh, 
like like start at the beginning. Like we had the four college friends who I want to point out that um, one of them is oh god, what what the hell is his name? Um, uh, he was in Lost. He's one of the main characters in Lost. Oh, um, Jorge, um, Jorge Garcia. Yeah. Jorge Garcia, which people, um, if you've ever seen Lost, he's Hurley in Lost. And this is before he got his big break in Lost. This is one of his very early roles. Mm-hmm. And um, he's one of the main four characters, which was funny because I was like, I, I kept being like, like, who is that guy? He, is a, he looks familiar. He looks familiar. Like, oh, he was in Lost. Yeah. Now, I, was, I was never a... Um, Lost fan. I don't know if you. Were. I was. I was. I was a huge fan. I watched. Yeah, I used to have Lost parties. <laughs> so like he's he's in this movie. Like, yeah. That was pretty cool. Yeah. And um, like it, it opens with them like on this balcony looking out on the beach and with binoculars and it keeps cutting to what each of the individual characters are looking through with their binoculars. And it's things of, like, sexy girls working out to, like, plane crashes. And oh, yeah. I thought it was legit hysterical. Like, because yeah. it kept getting more absurd and fucked up the things they were looking at. Like, it one of them looking at a sheep. And... It would have been great if Jorge's was the plane crash because the lost connection. Oh, and I don't think it is. <laughs> I think it was another character that got the plane crash. Yeah, yeah. Well, it predates lost, so, you yeah. know. When they cut though to the plane crashing, like when, because you see what each character's going, like, all the characters are like, oh yeah, look at that, wow, look there, and like you know we see a girl working working out, and then we cut to one guy, he's looking at a sheep, and then one guy, wow, we checked that out, and it cuts to a plane crashing. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, I'm fully on board right now when that happened. Yeah. Like, I'm That's I'm awesome. into this. Yeah, no, it was it was definitely a a pick me up, you know, after the. Uh... Oh yeah. The, the the previous um short it was film. like you, you you earned you earned yourself some enjoyment after having suffered through now did did the um did the scenes with um like was this uh I, were the scenes of what they were seeing was that was that added in later that was definitely added in later because like the girl working out is um from one of the sex comedy movies that Lloyd Kaufman did. Oh, okay. I don't know which one it was, but I know I've seen clips of it in other trauma-related stuff. That was from one of Lloyd Kaufman's sex comedies. So all that stuff spliced in, I believe was... Oh, it's not, I believe. I, I'd be willing to put down money that that was all added in later. I think the only things that's original, that's footage from the original shot was everything essentially with Jorge Garcia. That, like, everything of the four frat boys interacting was, um, was like, what was originally turned in. And essentially, any scene that doesn't have them in it, I think, was from reshoots, except for the lesbian vampire orgy scene. Mm, okay. I, I, I bet you that was also from the original shoot. Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. Um, so this has a, a few cameos in it, does it not? Oh my God! This has so many. This has so yeah. many. Um, so so so, at, so this most of the short film takes place at the party and the scenes revolving around the party. That when they throw this party, the vampire, lesbian, stripper, prostitutes tie up the four frat boys 
and they go to essentially mingle amongst the party guests before they massacre them. But we get, um, well, yeah, let's start out the worst. Let's start out the worst. We get fucking Ron Jeremy again as the yeah. dumb man, yeah. which I was like, oh, my God. And I was actually thinking while watching this movie, this isn't going to be the last time we see him. Like, in the course of doing the show, we are going to see Ron Jeremy a lot more. And I'm, every time I'm like, why was this fucking slime ball ever popular? I, yeah. even before, like, I shouldn't even say even before, because essentially as long as I've known about Ron Jeremy, I know that I've ranted about him before on this show. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. As long as I've rant, as long as I've known about Ron Jeremy, there's been fucking stories in the porn industry about him being a sexual assaulter and a rapist. Now yeah. he's in jail for it. Like, why, why, why did people ever think he was cool? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I think, uh, I think, I think Lloyd regrets, uh, Regret, regrets putting him in so much stuff. I, I hope so, anyway. I fucking hope so. Yeah. So, okay, we'll get that out of the way. Let's not talk about Ron Jeremy anymore. Yeah. Let's talk about some guy. more fun things. I want, I want to build up to my favorite cameo. So, we get um, uh, Newfound Glory is yes. in it. The whole the, band. The pop-punk band, Newfound Glory, which, by the way, they are legit trauma fans. Um, yes. Lloyd Kaufman directed one of their music videos. That's right. That's and right. They, that was, uh, yeah, that was what actually was the reason why I gave them a chance. Like, cause I was like, kind of not into that pop punk thing at all. But like, I was like, Oh, the trauma, 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 you know? And I was like, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll give them a pass. <laughs> I actually saw them live once, uh, when they were supporting their very first album. So like many, many years ago, I actually went to go see a different band on the bill that night. Um, for anyone curious, it was Mest, M-E-S-T. And they were kind of like this um, ska pop punk band that was only around for a brief blip. But I went to go see them and Newfound Glory was also on the bill. So like I saw Newfound Glory way, 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 way back in the day. And yeah. They, they were decent. They put on a good show. I've never liked their music, but they were good. They were good live performers. I can definitely say that about them. Um, nice. But yeah, they were they were legit Choma fans. When they were on the major studio label, they requested Lloyd Kaufman to direct one of their music videos. And yeah. I remember when that happened, and I was like, "All right, they're they're cool. I'll, like, yeah. I may not like their music, but they're cool. They like they like Lloyd Kaufman. Like, All exactly, right. exactly." <laughs> um. And other cameos, uh, I know Ted. we see it in the, oh yeah, yeah, let's, let's talk about him, Ted Raimi. Ted Raimi, is, yeah. Is in he, it. And he gets a cock through the cock. <laughs> he gets a rubber chicken shoved through his ass that comes out where his dick is and essentially shoves his dick off his body. Yeah. What and, I, yeah. <laughs> what I love about, I mean, and this is a behind the scenes thing, which maybe we'll get into later, but, uh, you know, um. In that, uh, you know, in the behind-the-scenes documentary, you can hear him giving the uh, the effects people, like, effects of advice. Like, he's like, yes. no, don't put too much blood on it, because then you don't know what it is. Like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. But, yeah, he's, he's pretty, he's actually pretty entertaining in this, and um, it's very much said, Remy. Um... Wes Craven is credited as being in this movie, and you see in the behind-the-scenes documentary, he was around briefly. But, but he I gave them $100. Yes, he gave them $100. <laughs> I essentially... We'll, we'll, I, I think he was just giving them money so they'd go away and he could leave. I yeah. definitely got that feel. And 
Is he actually in the finished movie? Because I did not I didn't know see him in it. I didn't see okay. him in it. But he's credited as himself, yes. I, I believe, yeah. Um, working up here, uh, Trent Haga is one of the partygoers. Yep, yep. That's, that's really briefly in it. Uh, Count Smokula is very briefly in it. Um, and, uh, okay, uh, and, okay, two more, one more before we get to my favorite cameo. We get, Eli Roth has several names, uh, several, I'm sorry, several lines in the movie. Yeah, that's right. Eli Roth is there. He's like, ah, oh, there's my man, Eli Roth, fucking uh-huh. egg. And then the best cameo of all the cameos in the movie, and essentially is my highlight of this entire movie, and it's like, oh, all yeah. right, I'm so happy I took, t- you already know what I'm going to say. Trey Parker, <laughs> Trey Parker of South Park fame, of course, Campbell Holocaust, I'm sorry, not Campbell Holocaust, oh, Campbell man. the Musical <laughs> is in this, and he tells a rendition of the Aristocrats joke, which yes. I was like, Fuck yeah, Trey Parker doing the Aristocrats. I am, I am fucking on board. Uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah, he's. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he gets his head crushed by one of the yes. vampire, vampire lesbian strippers. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> it's so much fun. Um, his delivery of the Aristocrats is fucking hysterical. Yeah, he kind of delivers it like the Alfred Packer character, like, you know, like, where he's, like, the aristocrats, you know, so, <laughs> like, just all so awkward. <laughs> in all the trailers of the movie, um, now, in the actual credits, um, he's, he's credited as Trey Parker, but in all of the trailers for the movie, they have, like, featuring, and they have, like, you know, mentioning all the cameos during the movie, they don't say Trey Parker. They say Juan Swartz. Yes, that's they beautiful. They do a fucking Campbell the Musical callback in the trailer for T- Tales from the Crapper. That's awesome. How I great like is that? that? How that's... Like, oh, that's so good. Yeah, yeah. So that just I I can't express the joy at like uh, Trey Parker's delivery and he has all these sexy like punk goth girls all grinding up on him and he's yes. pretending to be a movie producer that he can get them cast in the movie and essentially implying that like you know if you'll fuck me i can get you cast in the movie uh-huh. which um we're going back again towards like that QAnon pizza gate uh we uh, are Jeffrey we Anthony, are uh bob weinstein stuff here yeah. how much is like Wait, hold, hold on harvey weinstein Bob Weinstein. Weinstein's the, the non-rapey one. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Thank you for correcting me. It's like, <laughs> yeah. how, how much does Lloyd Kaufman know? I know, right? Was he, like, signaling all along? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Lloyd, really... Lloyd, blink twice if you need help. <laughs> if, when this episode comes out, if there's just, like, a video on Twitter that Lloyd Kaufman releases tomorrow of him blinking twice, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't either. <laughs> We need help. We need an adult. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but the party scene just filled with cameos, um, and everyone other than he who I don't want to talk about again is pretty fucking awesome in his yeah. cameos. Oh, um, also speaking of cameos, uh, of the lesbian vampires, um, one of them is Masasume Max, who is actually a very well-known porn star, and... Oh. 
it was funny because I was watching it and I was like, she looks really familiar. Really, like, where do I know her from? Where do I know her from? And then I'm like looking up who played her. Like, oh yeah, I've watched your porns before. She's good. Yeah, she's good. <laughs> and um, the uh, the other uh, 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 lesbian vampire is portrayed by Arvin Severin, who is a very actually very accomplished. Um, musician and also is a pinup model and is very famous for portraying vampirilla as like cool. a live model so cool. both of the, both of the um i'm sorry and debbie rashawn of course is the third so all three of the vampire lesbian shippers are actually all cool people in their own right and it's like that's great yeah that's awesome um i and then, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, we haven't even mentioned yet, part of why I love this, this story is because it has also so many fourth wall breaks, that as mm. it goes on, we get commentaries from quote-unquote Oliver Stone, yeah, who's the, who directed this, um, who did not actually direct this, but that's the joke in the movie, which we'll probably get to in a later episode, Oliver Stone has some sh- strong ties to trauma. This is true, this is true. And um, then we also get Lloyd Kaufman doing commentaries. Uh, we get um, – uh, fuck. And isn't there a third person who does a commentary at some point? Uh, yeah, but I'm blanking. Was it Debbie Rashawn? I think so. Yeah, um, let me – No, I don't think it was. I'm sorry. There was a third commentary, and now I'm, like, kicking myself that I'm, like, blanking on who it was right now. But – um. But no, no, no. Um, what I'm thinking of is we also get the editor, the editor. Oh yeah. I don't know who plays the editor, um, but so when I say commentaries, for anyone listening, I don't mean like changing the audio track. As part of the movie, the comment, quote unquote, commentary turns on as if you accidentally <laughs> hit a button on your remote, and um, the. Oliver Stone is a director, Lloyd Kaufman is a producer, and the editor, who I'm not sure who that was or the name, I don't see it in front of me right now, easy to access, um, give some comments on it. And we even have a scene where we cut to the actual editing room, the quote-unquote actual editing room, mm. with um, Lloyd Kaufman, Debbie Rashawn, and um, – or, or was that Debbie Rashawn, there was a Julia Strain there. In the uh, do you remember the editing room scene? Not really. <laughs> Sorry, I was like kind of. I think it was Debbie Rashawn. Yeah. Um, are getting into an argument with the editor, with the editor essentially saying that this movie is unsalvageable. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Yeah. Is that flashing back to you now? With that? a little bit. Yeah. 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 And, then they, and then they uh uh kill the they kill the editor. Yeah. And, I believe it's Debbie Rashawn takes over the editing of the movie, and then we go back mm-hmm. to the movie. I, I, I just really dug this last story. I, I kind of really loved it. Yeah, it's like, I think like most of my like frustrations with the film come from the the first story. Do you think like that first story just like hurt you so bad you were unable to enjoy the I, second? I think so. I think so. I think I'm gonna watch the second one now. Like like after this, I'm just like. 
yeah, just like without watching the first and just see what happens. The second one legit just felt to me like a straight up like a Lloyd Kaufman short film is really what it felt like to me. I was like, yeah. holy shit, like an under, a Lloyd Kaufman short film that I did not know existed that has all these fucking people I love and one I'd never want to mention his name. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so, and so it ends with the vampire stripper lesbians killing everybody. Oh, oh, but there's a twist. There's a twist that there's actually this B subplot that I haven't mentioned where Lloyd Kaufman plays the father of the character that needs money for college and that um, he keeps leaving voice um, – I want to say voicemail messages, but this is before – answering machine. He keeps leaving answering machine messages, and it's just really stupid stuff throughout the whole movie and it's kind of like meta jokes on the plot in the movie of like don't go hiring vampire strippers for a party they'll end up killing them. oh yeah <laughs> like bullshit like that and after everyone's dead he like le- the movie ends with him leaving a um a message on the answering machine of like like so i forget what exactly it is but something like I just won the lottery. I have your college paid for. I hope you didn't throw like that vampire stripper party that you're planning <laughs> to. And while we're seeing the corpses of everyone all around. Everyone, yeah. I like. I thought it was super fun. I really dug it. Yeah. I mean, you've got to admire just like. I mean, the whole thing is like this project. You know, like when you think about just everything that went on behind the scenes, like, just, I don't know, just, um... Which I, I think we'll probably get into uh, very shortly here, because, is, is there a closing skit? N- not that I remember, but I feel like there should be. I don't know. I know over the credits, we get the, um, the cannibal lesbian hoedown. Right. Which is a TV show some characters are watching in the in the um, the strip club story uh, and this is just something the trauma added in and it's a like upbeat country bluegrass song about lesbian cannibals while naked women uh, kill and eat each other with really bad special effects um, <laughs> it, it is what it is yes. But you know what? I feel, it, it does feel like there should be an outro, but I don't. I don't really strongly recall one. No. There probably is one, but there was probably just something of like that was our movie. Yeah. Um. um so that was Tales from the Crapper. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so then we need to talk about more about the making of this movie, which is like. It's fascinating, man. It's, it's, just, it's truly fascinating. It's truly insane that yeah. this even exists. Yeah. Um, just the fact that, you know, they hired this person to make these movies and they were just, the movies were just so bad. But instead of just, like, shelving them forever, they just said, let's, you know, to... Uh, you know, to quote Terror Firmer, let's make some art, you know, and they just kind of tried to make that chicken salad out of chicken shit. <laughs> and I love that you actually quoted Terra Firmer there because, like, I actually think of a lot of, like, Troma's 
projects, this is one of the ones I can really say is like a work of art. Yeah. It may not be a work of good art. It may not be accessible art, <clears throat> but this is, I'd argue, like truly art, and we're seeing a independent, low to zero budget filmmaker, film studio stuck with in very strict, odd limitations, and then yeah. trying to create something anything from it yeah like i mean because this is like i mean they always work within limitations but this was like limiting even for them you know yeah Uh, uh, you know um because yeah man and so like we mentioned that on the dvd there's a full uh full-length documentary that i wish it gave it doesn't really give like any information on uh what had happened with the original shoot. Like, I'm really curious about that original shoot and how involved <laughs> Troma was, and I can't find anything anywhere. Yeah, all really we get is, uh, you know, I mean, it's Lloyd. T- uh, in the beginning, it's just Lloyd talking to the camera, saying, like, he gave this... <laughs> and he's very, very good about naming this person. Like, just, we gave Indian Allen all, India Allen all this money. And she gave us this garbage. <laughs> like, yeah. Like... <laughs> oh, it's it's really worth noting that like um we haven't really uh, well actually we got the chance to and Tara Firmer talk about it that uh this movie features a documentary that you see actually what it is like to, on a trauma set and so you see angry pissed off Lloyd Kaufman. Yeah. Yeah. That uh... he's not in character. He's as he really is. And he is pissed off. He is frustrated. They've lost a lot of money. Everyone he's hired is an idiot. Yeah. Um, and he's trying to create something salvageable. And he hates his film crew. He makes that very clear. Yeah, I think in this one particular, like, he had, I don't know, like, particularly inept. I mean, his these are his own words, you know, like, I mean, that, yeah. you know, saying that these were just, like, really not. Just not, I don't know if it was a lack of experience or what, but he said, like, these people had no idea what they were doing. It comes across as if they didn't care at all. And yeah. the footage, so we, like, in this documentary, it's cut between footage that Lloyd Kaufman shot it's with just him talking into a camera that he's holding <laughs> and footage that the film crew themselves shot as their own behind-the-scenes documentation of what they were doing. And then, <coughs> excuse me, they come across as idiots. They come across as people that truly have no idea what the fuck they're doing. Yeah, yeah. Like, at one point, we're watching them skin a watermelon to oh, yeah. fake a head explosion, which, like, Kaufman is pointing out, like, the logistics of, like, first off, like, watermelon is not the same size as a cantaloupe, which they normally use. Choma infamously uses cantaloupes for fake heads. So it's because like, watermelons crack and yes, cantaloupes can, you, explode. <laughs> also, they're different shapes. The yeah. human head is not watermelon shaped. That's, yeah. that's the big head by Edward Lee. It's specifically a plot point in Edward Lee's The Big Head. His head, is, <laughs> his head is watermelon shaped. Remember that? Yes, yes, exactly. Anyone listening, if you don't know what I'm talking about, go read The Big Head by Edward Lee. Thank me later or curse me later. It's up to you. It's, yeah, um, it's 50-50. It's 50-50. <laughs> um, 
Uh, but like it's it's the watermelons, but they're shaving the watermelons. They have like a peeler, like like a uh-huh. potato skin peeler, and they're peeling the watermelons. And for the life of me, I have no idea what that was supposed to be accomplishing. Yeah, I don't know. But Lloyd was not happy. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the film crew, and we see them just get like outrageously drunk. Yeah. And um, most of the scenes that were actually watched get filmed in the behind the scenes documentary aren't in the movie. Yeah. Like we get the uh, we we see the behind the scenes filming of the Ted Raimi death scene and um, the Trey Parker joke telling slash death scene, but mm-hmm. then they're filming like a bunch of other stuff like the blowjob scene with the penis game bit off with the Osama bin Laden party. We yeah. see like glimpses of that in the final movie and on the deleted scenes they actually have that scene in full. And I don't know why it was cut out of the movie. It's it's nothing particularly great, but the movie's already under an hour and a half long, and like it's not like it's very good in the first place. So right. I don't know why they cut out this three minute long sequence of a Osama bin Laden party. Yeah, I don't know. Because you remember, there's a guy running around in a Osama bin Laden mask in the movie. Yes, that's that right. Was actually related to a scene of like a a like Al Qaeda party that's happening in the building. <laughs> oh man! And then in also in that documentary, we get uh, we see Wes Craven, who I, I I love because I've been we both have we both have been involved in enough professional parties and professional events in the entertainment industry that you know like that lull before so so i should explain so when they um do the when they film the party sequence for the movie they legit were throwing a party in the trauma la office Mm -hmm. so some of the party is legit a real party happening that's also why we have all these trauma people there and then in one room off to the side they were filming uh (coughs) special effects sequences and more intense uh, visual elements. Yeah. And and the rest of the building, actual legit real parties going on. And like you, you've been at you know, you've been at more convention parties you could, than you could probably count. Correct, Lucas. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and I've thrown more convention parties than I could possibly count. And West the West Craven in the behind the scenes thing is definitely that guy that shows up while all the people are still setting up things. And he's like the big name guy who stops in to check out things before things actually really get going to see if it's going to be his scene or not. (laughs) And he can skip out before everyone shows up and he gets mobbed by fans. Because I've I've 100% had that happen with like He Writes Our Head and Deadite Parties of like the guests of honor at the convention showing up before the parties are supposed to start. And kind of like, is this going to be my scene or not? This is my chance to just say hi to the people running this and then I can yeah, say I was there and get, get, out, weird, get, like, get yeah. out. And Wes Craven definitely is like, I'm getting the fuck out. I'm getting and, out of here. And he I, gives them a hundred dollars and all the film crew is like, yeah, Wes Craven was here. He gave us a hundred dollars. And it's like, dude, he's literally paying you to be like, I'm going to go. Leave me alone. Yeah. I am out of here. Yeah. Yeah. Like he, I love that. Yeah. I love that. He just like, Gave them money to make them go away. Like, and they're they're bragging at one point when 
uh, they're like, yeah, over in that room, a murder happened. That's the murder room. And yeah. he's standing there with a the beer, and he's just like, uh, oh, yeah. yeah? He's just yeah. not. He's, he is not feeling it at all. And everyone else is so excited around him. Yeah. It's so funny. Oh. I, um, yeah, that, that, that legit cracked me up because I, I've, I've got enough social intelligence awareness and I've enough parties. I know exactly what was going on in that moment and nobody in that room did. Yeah. No, definitely not. That's funny. And, um, I know we, uh, before we were recording, you were saying, uh, you did not make it to the uh, end of the documentary, correct? I did not. No, okay, I, did not. I need to talk about the very end of it, because the end is is actually, like, like legit heartbreaking and shows about, like, how fucked up this these reshoots were in their life. Oh, man. Okay. So, the end, um, this party that they threw, and the recording of these scenes for Tales from the Crapper was, happened in the um, Troma LA offices, which were very short-lived. And this was essentially the last thing that got happened in those offices. In the end, the same people who did all of these reshoots that were filming all this behind-the-scenes stuff have footage of when the trauma offices closed down. They filmed themselves with a so they they filmed themselves with a baseball bat that the top of the building had the word trauma. Um, installed on the top of the building in wooden letters and they filmed mm-hmm. themselves with a baseball bat knocking the letters off the top of the building into a dumpster on the ground below and sent that to Lloyd Kaufman. He did not know they were going to do that. Oh shit. So that is a huge it, it comes across that they think it's like really funny. Yeah, cute in some way, and Lloyd Kaufman, I believe, rightfully takes that as like a gigantic fuck you. And yeah. as he puts it, like if they would have put as much effort into the filming of this movie as they did into destroying our own building, we would have had a much better movie. Damn, damn. And that's how, and that's how the documentary ends. <laughs> that's rough. <laughs> I think that's, like, really rough. It's, like, someone that's been a part of, like, projects that have meant a lot to them that have, like, failed or ended for reasons they weren't happy with. To have, like, something like that is just, like, rubbing salt in a wound. Like I agree. I, I, like, that's just, like, really... Yeah. It's just really cruel. And you can tell that the people making this don't realize what they're doing and they don't realize the ramifications of like what it means of what they're doing it's just mean-spirited and they don't even realize they're being mean yeah yeah i think i think you're right um yeah it's almost like they just like had this attitude of like oh we're in a troll movie who cares like you know and just like yeah i don't know that's that's exactly the attitude i felt like i got from the behind the scenes stuff is that uh and i mean admittedly lloyd kaufman brings this on himself because he hires the cheapest people. He gets right. people to work for free. He could hire uh, professionals, but he probably can't afford it. Yeah. Um, and so he works with what he, he's got, and this is what he gets with it. But still, it's like these people aren't taking this work seriously at all. And there's kind of like an attitude of like, oh, it's trauma. So we can we don't have to take anything we're doing seriously. We can get drunk and trash shit. And it doesn't yeah. mean anything because it's trauma. 
and like hell um i used to be heavily involved in the planning and running of um uh bizarro con yeah and um i remember one year we actually like kicked somebody out of BizarroCon, who basically came to the convention and was like, oh, you're Eraserhead Press. Um, essentially, like, so there's going to be, like, orgies and shit. And they were not joking. Oh, wow. Like, no, no, no. This is a professional writer's convention. Like, we're all pros here. This yeah. is a work event. And it's like, yeah, but you know the guys that do, like, you know, Baby Juice Butt Plug and Ask Goblins of Auschwitz and, you know. <laughs> those are books. Yeah, you know, exactly. Like, yeah, and those are books. This is real life. We write those books. We publish those books. But this is who we are. Like, the most – and, Lucas, uh, how many Bizarro Cons have you been to? Uh, three or four. Three or four. Yeah, like, like, we drink a lot of beer. There's some people, myself included, that smoke a lot of weed. Yeah. But that's, like, as rambunctious as it gets. We, like, the big after-hours activity that all the people in the know do is we all go to the soaking pool and sit in the hot water and, yeah. like, soak up the hot water together. That's the, that's the big in-the-know event, like, thing that yeah. happens. Like, there's no orgies. There's, like, no not, outside of one year, there's not people taking acid. I'm not going to name names, but there was one year that one of the uh, a person you have met distributed a lot of LSD to a lot of people in attendance. <laughs> now, not for anyone listening, it was not accidental. They all took it under their own volition. Um, I unfortunately was not one of the people offered it, and I felt very offended. Oh and, man, that's a... <laughs> yes, but then uh, Rose O'Keefe, who was my boss at the time, informed me of like, Jeff, you are working here. You're not allowed to take LSD. Oh. <laughs> uh... <laughs> And I was like, good point, good point. I do have things I have to get done. Yeah. Um, but but the whole reason I brought that all up was, uh, like, the like we had the kick out of person one year that was like, oh, 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 it says he writes our press, this is bizarro. I can, like, like sexually harass women and be a total asshole and none of it matters. And it's like, no, it does fucking matter. Get I, kinda, the fuck I think I know who you're talking about, but I won't say their name. Yeah, like, get, get the fuck out. And they got kicked out on the first night of the convention. Holy shit. Uh, I don't know if you were there that year or not. I, I don't think I was, but I think I heard things. Oh, oh yes. This did blow up. On This person made up a whole bunch of bullshit reasons over why they got kicked out. And now I'm telling you the real story why they got kicked out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. gotcha. I'm telling everyone the real story. Uh, yeah. I won't name names, though. Um, and that's how these trauma, That's how these people that trauma hired came across is they did yeah. not respect where they were they did not respect what they were involved in and they were assholes and they yeah. did not think they were being assholes but that's exactly what they were being definitely definitely you gotta wonder what this movie would have been like uh you know under different circumstances oh i mean like there's so many failed things that place because the original shoot failed the reshoots were a shit show yeah. And the in the end, uh, like knowing everything that happened, seeing the final product, I'm kind of like, I kind of fucking respect and really it's, dig this, and I'm really look, happy I spent time with it. As we established in the uh, Surf Nazis episode, like every time a movie gets made, it's like legitimately a miracle. Like, yes. Um. So yeah, no, I mean, uh, the fact they were able to like get anything out of what, um. 
was given to them by this by by India Allen. Uh, yeah, I mean it's amazing, um, and it really is kind of a testament to what trauma does as far as like you know yeah i mean jesus christ we're coming up on what 50 years of them just being trauma yeah <laughs> and i think like this has to be like one of the most trauma movies out there because we talked about earlier like these extreme extreme limitations they had placed yeah. on them and i know you're saying you didn't dig it like man I strongly encourage you. Like, you gotta go back and at least watch that second. I that think second I will because again. that that first short just it. really. <laughs> it's bad. It's fucking bad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I feel like that covers pretty much everything I wanted to go over. Um, was there anything else you had to uh, uh, bring up about the movie? Um, not really. I would just say that, like. Um, it's, it's such an, it's such an oddly placed movie in the filmography because like we do think of, you know, uh, terror firmer on as like, um, kind of the, the trauma renaissance in a lot of ways. Um, and then there's this, <laughs> and then there's this, you know, like it's, uh, it's interesting. Here, uh, I'm looking up real quick exactly where this would fall in Lloyd Kaufman's, uh, filmography, so we can get a little bit more of a framework. Uh, so this uh, would have happened. Uh, this would have been what he was working on in between uh, Citizen Toxie and Poultrygeist. Yeah, yeah. So arguably, when I argue when Lloyd Kaufman and Troma is at its best, absolute cr- uh, height. Uh, this was a <laughs> this came out. Yeah. It's wild. Um, do we know who did the comic? The original webcomic? No, I am not sure who did that. Um uh, I'm sorry, I, I just have no information on the original webcomic. Yeah, no, that's fine. Um Yeah. Um so what do we what do we say as far as recommendations go? I mean, would you would you, you would recommend at least the second segment? I, I I imagine. I I kind of like like for a trauma fan, I totally recommend the second segment, and also for like like a serious trauma fan, like not someone that just like really likes the movies, but someone who actually like is really into the entire. Uh, story history of the company really into all the nitty-gritty in and outs behind the scenes things like like we are um i would i couldn't recommend this movie enough like this is such a interesting artistic oddity of their filmography that i legit was like like, I was like, I'm thrilled that we we watch this and then we spend time with this movie. Yeah, for sure. No, like, I think what pissed me off so much about the first segment is, like, I just kept picturing, like, somebody trying to get in a trauma and accidentally trying to get in a trauma with, like, that. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, and, like, and because of that, never getting to see, like, such glorious things as Terra Firmer or the Toxic Avenger or, like, Citizen Toxie or Poultry Geist, like, you know. 
like that first story has like none of the uh, it doesn't have that combination of highbrow and lowbrow that right. the trauma is known for. It's the second story that I feel nails the highbrow lowbrow trauma aesthetic. That's fair. Yeah. I mean, like, fuck, it's worth watching just to see uh, Trey Parker tell the aristocrats joke. Like, yeah, th- I mean, that, that made on. the whole movie worthwhile for me. Yeah, definitely. Um, and the. Uh, yeah, and the rubber chicken through the ass is pretty cool, too. <laughs> that, that was great. That is great. <laughs> um, yeah, so. I don't know. What are we uh, What are we doing next week? Do you have any ideas about that? Oh, yes, yes, I do. Yes, I do. I am so excited. Everyone listening to uh, this didn't see me, but I just, like, lifted myself up in my chair because I'm so excited. Awesome. Next week. Next week is going to be our episode coming out on June 21st, which June 20th is Father's Day. Oh, so, yes. For our next episode, we're going to be covering legit one of my very favorite movies in my easily in my top five trauma films, Father's Day from Astron 6. All and right. you have not seen this. I was going to say, confession time, I have not seen Father's Day. So this is going to be a, a an experience. I am so excited for you to watch this movie. I know I legit, I almost. If you don't love it, I am going to be fucking shocked because I think it's going to hit all the right notes. It is easily my top five favorite Chomo movies. You know, Lloyd Kaufman, things they distributed. This is up there. Like it might be like number, it might be like number two or three for me. Like awesome. Awesome. I, I fucking adore Father's Day and everyone's also going to want to tune in. Because I've been working on research for it, and holy shit, do I have a fucking behind-the-scenes story about what happened with Troma's Day? What, I'm sorry, what happened with Father's Day and with Troma involved in the movie? It's going to be a very dramatic episode. Let's put it that way. Okay, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> so yeah, I am so psyched for next week, and at the very least, dude, like. You subjected me to surf Nazis must die, but then we got to redeem ourselves with terra firmer. I subjected you to Tales from the Crapper, but I feel I'm going to redeem myself with Father's Day. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, hey, no, uh, and and of course we had the first turn on last week, which I, I enjoyed the hell out of, so. Yeah, that, that was great. That that was really good. Yeah. I'm really happy we watched that one. Um, <laughs> And then that will also be the end of our kind of uh, uh, pre-planned episodes, except for something special we have for in August, which everyone listening, you'll find out when that fucking happens. Deal with it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> awesome. Then we'll, go, awesome. then we'll go back to figuring out off the uh, seat of our pants, which uh, what episodes we're doing next. Yeah. Hell yeah. Um, all right. So yeah, we're we're on the socials. Um, Twitter and Facebook right now. You can find us. Give us a like. Give us a follow. Give us a retweet. We, we need we need validation. Yeah, we're we're very lonely. We're yeah, very, very lonely, lonely on the people. socials right now. <laughs> All right, but thanks for listening, and um, yeah, we'll see you next time. <laughs>